Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Hey, folks, Roland Martin here. Today is Tuesday, November 19th, 2019. I'm broadcasting live from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I'll be uh, attending the midnight uh, event at Langston University uh, as they hit into finals weeks. But uh, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, uh, impeachment hearings took place today on Capitol Hill. We'll show you the latest uh, on the drama taking place there. Also, a Newsday investigation reveals rampant housing discrimination in Long Island. They have video evidence uh, that is extremely strong, folks. That is thing. We'll break it down with one of the investigative reporters. Also, Chicago's uh, Chicago's Black Caucus not happy at all for the lack of African Americans who have marijuana licenses in that city. Hmm, we'll break it down for you. Also, folks, uh, while we are focused on impeachment, Republicans have blocked the measure for HBCU funding, some 255 million bucks. I thought Donald Trump Republicans cared about HBCUs. Also, the girlfriend of Plano Castile is suing the mayor of Elysian, Minnesota for his racist tweet. We'll tell you exactly what took place. Another crazy-ass white woman arrests a black man for taking the trash out. And I'll give the latest on Colin Kaepernick and the NFL. Folks, the jam-packed show. It's time to bring the funk of Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is.
folks. Welcome back to Roller Martin Unfiltered. I am here in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. The event tonight was part of the CARES Initiative at Langston University. But uh, we want to continue our conversation today dealing with the blowback from Colin Kaepernick and the NFL. Uh, it was about uh, less than an hour ago I got off the phone talking to an NFL uh, spokesperson about what took place. Uh, they contend and negotiations were going very well with Colin Kaepernick, and it really was their insistent on having a video crew as well as them raising issues about this waiver that led to the derailment of his workout. Now, the NFL uh, sent me documentation that says that the waiver that they were presenting Colin Kaepernick had nothing to do with him not being able to sue, that it was about an injury issue. They also said it was extremely similar language to what he signed when he participated in the 2011, 2010, though, uh, NFL combine. All of this has been going back and forth uh, since uh, what took place on Saturday when they had uh, something scheduled, when they had a workout schedule. They, uh, in, ta- in my conversations uh, with the NFL spokesperson, uh, I was told that they reached out to Colin Kaepernick's people uh, on Tuesday uh, that two NFL teams were interested uh, in working Colin Kaepernick out. Uh, but it still begs the question, why do they go through all of this for just two teams? I want to bring in my panel right now. Joining me is Kelly Bethea, communications uh, strategist. Teresa Lundy, uh, who also joined us as a communications specialist, uh, as well as uh, Amelik Abdul. He is a Republican strategist uh, who joins us as well. And so uh, first, uh, I want to start with you, Teresa. This, to me, was a was totally bungled from the beginning. Even though, even though my conversation uh, with the NFL, which was uh, on background, laying out these details, what I still don't understand is why go through this huge hoopla over a workout if just two teams were interested. If the two teams were interested in Colin Kaepernick, those individual teams, two out of 32, could have easily called Colin Kaepernick in for a workout. There would have been no need for this huge, this spectacle that it turned into. And so it still raises some alarms for me in terms of uh, what this was really, really all about. The Colin Kaepernick narrative where it's like they're trying to stay into their uh, advocacy and criminal justice um, uh, battle that he's going through with his uh, his own opinions um, and, you know, fighting the good fight with the NFL. But it's also also looks like it's trying to dispel rumors that he no longer wants to be in the league. And so when we see, you know, Colin and his entire team, you know, putting on this, uh, you know, um, this whole charade. I'll just say this whole charade that's saying, you know, he is back on the field. He is fighting the good fight with the with the post statement because this uh, this this workout never went through. It just shows that he's still trying to stay relevant because, again, the fight for him is to stay relevant and not to get back on the field. Um, I disagree with that completely. Uh, I disagree with that because um, we saw what happened when Nike uh, came out with their ads. He's very, he's very relevant. I mean, it's real clear. He's extremely relevant. The issue still here is why, Kelly, the NFL go through all of it to organize a league-wide workout if only a couple of teams made an inquiry. The NFL should have said to those teams, you are more than welcome to bring him in for a workout. I'm 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 just still perplexed that two out of thirty-two would be interested, and then you would go to this huge workout. Yeah, it's it's all for show, um, specifically on the NFL side, if anything, because um, in terms of their interaction with Kaepernick and the settlement and all those things. If anything, it's the NFL that's trying to stay relevant in this situation because, like you said, Kaepernick is going to be relevant whether he's on the NFL 
um, roster or not. Um, if he gets in the NFL, he'll be really relevant in terms of his ability actually staying the course. Like, he has not deviated from his athletic ability at all. If anything, from the stats, it looks like he's gotten better over the past three years that he hasn't been on the team. Um, versus the NFL, uh, whose uh, base, whose money and everything has kind of been on the decline in the three years because of Kaepernick. So, if anything, the NFL had to put on face to, you know, look good for the public, um, regardless of whether there was only uh, two teams. But at the end of the day, this uh, situation should just be a matter of either put Kaepernick on a team or don't. Don't uh, dangle the carrot before the horse and just act like, you know, this is going to be um, just enticing for him. He's just going to keep trying and trying and trying. There's going to be a point where he's not going to be able to anymore, and that's going to be the NFL's fault because he shouldn't have been kicked off in the first place. So um, I disagree with the. Uh, this is. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, um, finish your point. I was just saying I, I disagree with uh, my colleague in terms of Kaepernick staying relevant, but at the same time, um, this this entire predicament is just ridiculous. Either add him or don't. He's more than qualified. Put him on a team because that's what he wants. This is Melik. This is what it bo- Melik. This is what it boils down to. This is what it, but it's very simple. Either you possess the talent to play in the NFL, or you don't. And if you have massive distrust on both sides, obviously, there was a lawsuit here. But that's what it boils down to. I don't understand why it's this hard. Well, I, I. I don't think is really that simple if we're talking about uh, uh, business. You know, yes, you may be qualified for the job, but, you know, there are other factors other than just your talent and whether or not you would get the job. And so, college, Jazz? And, well, uh, I, you, you could... You could be a rapist and be very talented but and Kaepernick not have a job in it. Well, well, I'm I'm using that as an example of why. why? No, well, I, but, but there there could be any there could be any. We're rolling. But before you go there, no, 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 no. Hold up, no, no, hold up, Melly. You use an example of a player who has committed a crime. There are players in the NFL who committed domestic violence. They're still in the NFL. Yeah, black players. Colin Kaepernick. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. hold on. Colin Kaepernick has never been arrested. Nope. Colin Kaepernick has never been in trouble. And so, what does it say that the NFL is very easily willing to give somebody a shot who beat a woman, as opposed to a guy? took a knee. Well, that's, that's been a consistent conversation in the NFL, in the sports industry in general. In Collins' case, you know, I'd push back on your notion that somehow because he's talented, that that means he, he's not guaranteed a job. And I think that that's what a lot of people... Well, first are of all, con- no, 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 hold on, Melly. No okay, one is I'll, guaranteed... I'll, I'll no, 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 no one is guaranteed a job. But fact are fact. If you are better than two-thirds of the existing quarterbacks of the NFL, that means that you are being purposely denied. So, yes, it's not about talent. And that's the point. Well, no, it's well. It, for the most part, the you know, overwhelming majority of the discussions about Colin haven't been that he's not talented enough to play amongst the rosters of players that they have out now. The question is whether or not he's guaranteed a job. So for months leading up to this Saturday, no. th- for months leading leading up to this Saturday workout, what we've seen from Colin is him posting on social media, "I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready." Well, he had the opportunity on Saturday, and you spoke with the NFL yourself. So this isn't second, third, you know, third-hand information. No, I, 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 well, 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 I actually spoke with both sides. Okay, and, 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 the, and you spoke? And, and, and the issue is that Colin Kaepernick's team said that the waiver was an issue because they felt as if they would not be able uh, to file legal claims later. And well, numerous law, and numerous lawyers, not even on his side, say it, it would be legal malpractice mm-hmm. to have your clients sign that waiver. Well, that okay. Well, that, that 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 the waiver is an issue, that's something that's on the legal side. But we don't even have to talk about the legality of the waiver or anything. Actually, How the- actually, actually, you do. Because that was the point, the reason the workout didn't move forward. 
But Roland, that 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 is a that is part of a larger story in what we're talking about with Colin Kaepernick. It's not just no, it's not. Just, well, yes, no, it not. is, Roland. The waiver. No, it's not. The waiver was the reason they chose not to move forward with the workout. You're, is that you're, a larger how, story? How, how you waiver, started the waiver. The waiver is tied directly to the workout. How you started the dis how do you started this segment is talking about why would the NFL go through all of this if it really was about two teams? So to add no, to act, no, 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 actually, actually. Okay, I mean, I'm just I'll just let you finish my. I lay out the several different things I was told. No, no, no. I'm telling you what I started with. I started with laying out what NFL spokesperson told me that covered a variety of areas, including two teams, including a videotaping including the waiver. Right. So so I, there so it wasn't so it's not just about with. so it's not just about the waiver which is what I just said it's not just about the waiver it's a couple of issues here but you said that it was only two teams. Well, they said based on what they told you they started out with two teams but apparently weren't there 20 or so teams that were actually going to be there? So it's not like they just stuck with the yeah. two teams. They actually went even further and invited more teams there who were willing to participate. And on the subject and of I, and on the subject of the, um, you know, okay. the video the, crew, I don't know. The point, is the point it, is still is this here. Is it normal? Is it, is it normal for players to bring their own video crews when they're first, um, first doing all, a workout or a combine? Is that first normal? Of all, first, of all, first of all, the NFL conceded there was nothing even normal about this entire deal. And it wasn't. And that, so you can't. You can't even use the word normal because there was nothing normal about it. It and wasn't, so but is line, that the bottom line is it? But if we're complaining while he's not, that he's no, being no, no, mistreated, no, 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 go through all of these different negotiations before announcing the workout. So that you don't think no that sense. Colin aired at all? You don't think that Colin aired at all? That no, everything? I think that I, I said that the problem with this whole issue was from the outset, how it transpired, the short window, all of those different things. That was the fundamental problem. Teresa, you want to make a comment before I go to my housing story? Go. Yeah, I was going back to my original point. This is all to stay relevant because Anybody, if we're involving the legal situation with uh, Colin Kaepernick's situation, that this should have been handled early on. It was not handled early on, thus caused the um, cancellation on Kaepernick's end, which means to me, it just shows, yes, being in PR, this is a stunt that we, we do uh, every day for different types of clients um, where we have to um, start to see what makes sense and how, to, how does the client stay relevant in that cycle? So now we're but it's not but but, but it's not, but it's not even the client staying relevant. The, I absolutely the believe NFL it's Teresa, the NFL Teresa because I bet you no, no, the here's the deal. it's about him going out and doing another you know training up right. to the workout. Being woke, he was woke. No, 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 no. Hold up, hold up. First of all, first of all, his camp said they may put on their own workout at the NFL meeting in Palm. Uh, Palm Beach, Florida. Guess what? They can't say they're not going to be there. Let me go to this next story, which is a huge story. Uh, we often have talked about housing discrimination. This, of course, Fair Housing Act was signed 1968. And you hear people say, oh, my goodness, racism has gone away. But guess what? Newsday did an investigation that revealed extreme racism taking place by real estate agents on Long Island. They found widespread, separate, and unequal treatment of minority potential home buyers in minority communities. 240 hours of secretly recorded meetings found that Asians were discriminated against 19% of the time, Latinos 39% of the time, African Americans 49% of the time. Here is one of the secret meetings. I don't know about that. I have to get used to that because I've been running like a dog. I know. So I really need that. I won't take out anyone unless I do have a pre-qualification letter. So I need to so know that, means that I can't pre-qualify for a mortgage. Oh, so that means I can't go out to see anything. I won't. I won't do it. You can try another person, but I don't have the time to uh -huh. do that. Uh -huh. Oh, good. I'm just going to take some notes and... 
introduced you to signatures. Um, what is your availability? When can you start looking at houses? Um, I would say not this coming week, okay. but the following week. Okay. So today is, uh, uh, let's set up our first appointment. I will send you listings uh, this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Keith Herbert is a investigative reporter for news that participated uh, in this. Uh, Keith, this is stunning to people who are delusional in thinking that racism somehow was eradicated in the housing industry. Um, Roland, how you doing? Good to be with you. Um, yeah, the results, uh, you know, speak for themselves. The numbers that you indicate uh, are what we found after doing more than 100 tests. Um, we counted 86 of them, and uh, what you see in those numbers are exactly what we found. The video clip you showed uh, is an example of us trying to be as transparent as possible so that uh, the test results that we found can be uh, examined by anyone who uh, wanted to look at Newsday's website and uh, see exactly what, what occurred between the tester and the agent. And um, to look at those numbers, to see that African-Americans face the most discrimination um, really makes it plain that the reality of black folks, and what people have to understand is that housing is where most Americans are able to build their wealth. So black people, by being discriminated against when it comes to buying a home, that is impacting the economics and the future wealth of those black families and their children and their children's children. Uh, that's true. We, we found that as well here in our, in our investigation. One of the things we found was that uh, if you looked at, uh, in a particular uh, neighborhood where an African-American would typically uh, get a home, compared with uh, an area next door here on Long Island where a white uh, person might end up. Um, when you look at the difference in appreciation rate between 1990 and 2017, over those years, that amount of money adds up to $50,000. So um, it definitely has an impact that you know makes a difference in people's lives when you think about your home is you know, probably the biggest investment uh, that you have, the biggest asset. So. Um, the practices that we were able to uncover in the uh, current disparate treatment um, uh, has an impact, like you said, uh, down the line for uh, perhaps generations. First of all, uh, how expansive was your team? How many people did you send out? Uh, how many people did you eventually um, uh, talk to and come across? We um, engaged 26 uh, testers to do matched pair testing. Um, so we sent in one tester of, uh, of uh, black or white or Asian, um, mostly uh, people of color that were matched with a white tester. And we did 86 of those that we counted. So matched pairs would give us results based upon how the real estate agents treated one side of the test compared to the other side of the test. And the video clip that you showed um, allowed us to make transcripts to compare uh, exactly what happened on one side uh, to the other side. Uh, As part of the investigation, we collected uh, over 5,700 listings. The real estate listings allowed us to uh, get the address of where the homes the agents uh, where they suggested that the white tester look at a house and where the minority tester look at a house. And once we plotted those into census tracts, we started to see patterns where um, the neighborhoods that the minority testers were getting tended to be more diverse than the neighborhood that the white testers were getting. And uh, you gave a good summary of the numbers of the findings there. But indeed, African-Americans suffered uh, most of the disparate treatment that we uncovered in this investigation. Were people on your team, were your editors shocked with what they discovered? Were there people who believed that this stuff really did exist? And uh, how did this um, series, this expose, even originate? Was it based upon a complaint? Uh, How did it all start off? Well, it started 
Honestly, more than three years ago, when the owner of Newsday, Patrick Dolan, apparently had a conversation or lunch with one of the people who works in the fair housing field here on Long Island, who indicated to him that there apparently is a problem with real estate uh, agents uh, providing fair and equal service to all their customers in the community. And, you know, keep in mind that uh, we're here on Long Island, which is one of the most segregated metropolitan areas in the country. So. Um, as far as being shocked, um, you know, it depends on who you talk to. Um, members of the staff here at Newsday who happen to be people of color uh, didn't, didn't seem to be too shocked by what they saw, which you, you can imagine, because many of them have stories about either being steered to a particular neighborhood or treated uh, unfairly in their own housing search. This is, of course, uh, uh, again, a, uh, a stunning expose. Uh, we certainly appreciate uh, your work and the work of the Newsday staff. Uh, this is also why investigative reporting is, is important. This is why local newspapers matter. And so I uh, would certainly hope folks there in New York will be very supportive of Newsday uh, and uh, what uh, y'all are doing there. Where can folks uh, see the full report? Your question. Keith, uh, where can folks see the full report? Oh, yeah. Go to newsday.com, all right? And uh, what you get, you get a link. Uh, you get a link that they take to all the stories. There's an excellent documentary on there. It's long, it's 40 minutes, but it's worth every minute of it. I advise everyone to take a look at the documentary, which really does a good job of encapsulating the entire story. But, you know, read the stories too. There are plenty of them. Read each one details exactly what happened in each individual test. All right, Keith Herbert, we appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, Kelly, uh, this, the, the point there, when you talk about um, the places where black people are being pushed to live, losing out on upwards of $50,000 when it comes to reselling, that is how redlining impacted black people. That's how federal housing policies impacted black people. And for people who have this silly notion that these things don't exist. It is still existing in 2019, meaning black folks are being cheated out of being able to create wealth because of the color of their skin. But it's not just housing, right? I mean, almost every aspect of living in America has been uh, radically racialized. Um, housing is no different. Um, it is unfortunate that this is still going on. Um, I live in D.C., and you kind of see the effects of policies like this every day, um, especially with the gentrification going on in the southeast, uh, all four quadrants, really, and just seeing people just lose their homes or not being able to get the homes that they want because of real estate agents like this. It's absolutely disgusting. Um, it's happening all over the country, and you can see the evidence of that by the way um, who's buying houses, who's losing homes, um, how wealth is growing in this country or isn't growing in this country. Um, I am very anxious to see the full report. Um, that'll be something I do when I get home tonight. Um, but from what I just heard, it's, it's just really sad because there should be no reason for it. There is no real reason for uh, us to not be where we need to be just in order to live. Uh, um, Melly? I, this shouldn't surprise anyone. And it's interesting if we think about um, the pre-crash um, you know, of 2008, 2009, if we actually think about that, you know, the number, of, we were talking then about the housing crisis, we were talking, the foreclosure crisis, we were talking about predatory lending, predatory lending that largely affected black and brown people. So here we are, so many years later, still talking about an instance that's kind of closer to home in New York City of all places, not in Mississippi, not in Texas, not in Alabama, Louisiana. We're talking about Long Island um, in New York. So this really isn't surprising, but I, I, you know, like with Kelly, I actually look forward to seeing the full report. 
but whatever they can do to remedy the situation, you know, in New York, they need to put pressure on Cuomo. They need to put pressure on, you know, um, the mayor of Long Island. I don't know exactly who that is, but they need to put pressure on those politicians and they need activists out there who are engaged on these sort of issues to make sure that we're not continuing to get shorted when it comes to issues like fair housing. You know, whatever violations, the federal government needs to take over in that. But, Teresa, the real pressure needs to be on uh, the Department of Housing and Urban Development because they are the ones who should be sending in testers. They're the ones who should be eradicated. This is a violation of the Fair Housing Act. That's what this is. The onus should not be on a newspaper to do the work of HUD. I agree. And... Uh, um is Secret- uh, Secretary Ben Carson, or I think, is he still over HUD? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. well, guess what? You, you, never, you never know, but officially, right. yes. <laughs> yes, he is. He is, for now. Good. Okay. So, right. So, him um, and, and the rest of his uh, um, bureau directors need to really go in there um, and analyze and take some of that budget, really get into those communities, really contact those elected officials, um, and let them know that there is a plan and a budget to be put in place if they really want to combat that. If, if the Trump administration wanted to do anything, anything to kind of, you know, uh, start to change the narrative uh, outside of what it is now with these impeachment hearings, this is something that they can absolutely do. And this will get the attention of media. But I will hope more so it starts to change some of the perceptions um, not only in, in Long Island, but um, in other uh, states that, you know, it's going on across the country. All right, folks, that's really appreciated. Hold tight one second. When we come back. Uh, we're going to talk about Chicago. Black folk not being able to get medical marijuana licenses. Really? In Chicago. That's next. Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, family, it's almost time. The holiday season is my favorite time of the year. And whether you celebrate Thanksgiving, Ramadan, Christmas, Kwanzaa, or New Year's, this is when you think about spending time with the people you love most. This is also the time to count your blessings and support those less fortunate and look at how you can have an impact on their lives. Well, I have the perfect opportunity for you to be a holiday hero and have a major impact on other families. Now, here's the deal. Right now, hundreds of thousands of Americans are sitting in jail without being convicted of a crime. Why? Because they lack the financial resources to pay their bail. Now, think about it. If you are arrested for any minor offense, you'll be taken directly to jail. If you don't have bail money, whether it's a few hundred or a few thousand dollars, you will stay there until a court date is scheduled. That could be days, weeks, or even months. Now, America's bail system is broken and has created a two-tier system of justice, one for the rich and another for the poor. Folks, freedom should be free. And that's why the Ebony Foundation has partnered with the Bail Project and is sponsoring the Home Mother Holiday Campaign. Now, with your help, the goal is to bail out a 1,000 people by New Year's Day. Now, a donation from you today can change someone's life tomorrow. And this is critical because people of color represent upwards of 90% of the jail population across the country. Now, when folks stay in jail, 90% of the people with misdemeanors end up pleading guilty because they want to get out of jail. However, when bail was paid, 50% of the cases were dismissed and less than 2% received a jail sentence. Sometimes justice needs just us. To join the fight to be a holiday hero, you can donate 25, 50 bucks or more to help the Ebony Foundation bring our brothers and sisters home by the holiday. To donate, go to homebytheholiday.com. That's homebytheholiday.com. Please support them now. The Black Caucus in Chicago wants to stop marijuana sales until this summer. Why? Because they want more Af- more opportunities for African-Americans. Chairman Jason Irvin says there are no African-American participants among the 11 existing dispensaries so far. The question is, who is going to get the first shot at the market during the first year of legalization? Caucus members voice their concerns, which allows existing program, which allows, which program, which allows existing dispensaries to sell recreational marijuana beginning January 1st and to open a second location, saying it did not go and do enough to lift up communities most harmed by the war on drugs. Um, this, 
Um, Melick has been an issue that I have raised. We saw this in Maryland. We've seen this by the Black Caucus in New York, where African-Americans are saying that the people who have been most impacted by, by communities ravaged, by people going to prison because of marijuana, African-Americans should be first in line when it comes to getting these licenses. But what we're seeing is that's not the case. And so I think that this, this is a this is definitely not isolated to Chicago. This is definitely a national thing. If you look at the jurisdictions, the states that have actually legalized um, marijuana, whether that's Colorado or Vegas or California, uh, Maryland, and even here in the district, the conversation is we've always had these conversations about what type of benefits will, as far, especially as far as licensing, will that be equity for um, blacks, if you will. Um, some places do it a little better than others. I think D.C. probably does it a little better than others because we do have um, a couple of black-owned dispensaries here in the district. But as far as a nationwide thing, I don't know if I necessarily, even though I, I support blacks getting licenses and things like that, I don't know if I really understand the argument as far as linking communities that have been impacted by, I guess, marijuana, um, crim criminalization of marijuana laws. I don't know if I understand the argument that the, um, the city of Chicago, where some of the people in Chicago are making about how people, how communities that have been impacted by the uh, the legal, the, the um, people who've been impacted like ours, people who've been impacted by the marijuana laws. I don't know if I under necessarily understand what they mean when they say equity from that point of view. I support dispensaries, but I don't, under, I don't necessarily understand what they mean when they say communities impacted by these marijuana laws. Where, how so, they Teresa, should... Teresa is not real hard to understand. African-Americans, significant number of people still sitting in prison for selling marijuana, and you have whites in America who are reaping the financial benefit of marijuana now being legal. It ain't that hard. It isn't hard. And actually, in here in Pennsylvania, it, it's, it, it's two parts that's a disgrace. One is how the licenses were given out here. I think there was probably one African-American firm out of 30 that was issued licenses. Um, and then, two, we still have, especially in PA, so many prisons uh, in, in counties across the Commonwealth that still have those who are in prisons for marijuana have not been released yet. And so what they say is that it goes by county to county issue. So, yes, this is a, a, a huge um, portion of mass incarceration and criminal justice reform. But it's, it's so interesting to see when this is happening to black and brown people that, again, the white people are now capitalizing. They're capitalizing again when we're in prison and they're getting a check um, and then they're getting a check uh, for legalizing it. And the people who were it's so interesting. I, I can go through this whole thing, but it, it's really astonishing. Um, I don't understand why, you know, look, look, Kelly, if you've had communities that have been adversely impacted by when marijuana was illegal, why not say those folks should be first in line for dispensary? I mean, that should be the solution, right? Not only should that, I think it should be uh, a couple layers to this solution. Um, not only should the communities impacted by, you know, the war on drugs and uh, criminalization of uh, marijuana, not only should they be first in line for these licenses, but the uh, convictions of those who were, who are imprisoned because of said uh, legislation and laws retroactively should be expunged. Um, so I feel like that would be true uh, justice in that situation because it makes no sense for you to have this decriminalization of a contraband and the people who are in jail for that same contraband, even though it's no longer uh, illegal, they're still in jail for it. And frankly, they shouldn't have been j in jail for that in the first place uh, because of, you know, a slew of other issues. So the fact that Chicago has this problem isn't surprising to me because it's uh, across the United States uh, for the cities who are in the process of decriminalizing marijuana. But at the same time, a part of the solution to the dispensary licensing as well should be retroactively uh, expunging and in the process of expunging, rather, the convictions of those in jail 
for the uh, exact same action that people are profiting off of. Yeah, I, I think Kelly raises a good point, but I, I think we're also conflating the, what's happening around the country, and, and it's really happening, the decriminalization of marijuana. That's one thing, but if we're talking about licensing for dispensaries, that's a totally different thing, and I, I'm more so of a proponent of let's make sure that people, you know, black people actually get these licenses rather than black people who live on, a, like, whether people who live in Southeast D.C. or the south side of Chicago have access to these licenses. There are places, not, I, I want black people to be able to get these licenses in white neighborhoods. So it's not just I in black the... neighborhoods. I, when, oh, so when okay, you say communities no, 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 yeah. impacted. No, no, no. I this understand is not that. About, this is not about neighborhoods. Kelly, go ahead. Uh, it's like, I think uh, Roland and I are about to say the same thing. It's not necessarily about black people in certain neighborhoods getting these uh, licenses, but they should be prioritized because the, le the, the criminalization of marijuana started in those communities. So what is the best way to rectify the, the impact of that, you know, frankly racist type of, of criminalization? The best way uh, immediately to try and rectify that is to make sure that those communities have first dibs on those licenses. Not saying that they must get a license for that community, but the opportunity should present itself to those communities first so that they can try and rebuild what was broken by way of the criminalization of something that should have been criminalized in the first place. But are we talking, are we talking, are we talking mar marijuana licensing just black people in general or <laughs> communities that have been affected by it? And so, for instance, the South Side of Chicago, certain parts of New York City, certain parts of, you know, Washington, D.C. Are, are we talking about that? Like people in Ward 8, Ward 7 and well, 8 Well, it just D.C. so happens those are predominantly black neighborhoods. Um, right. I don't think that you can just say, hey, you black person, only you can have priority over this license. I mean, I'm pretty sure there are laws on the books to say that segregation and, you know, racial discrimination in that regard is wrong. But the principle still stands that the, like you said, Ward 8, South Side of Chicago, Baltimore, what have you. These are predominantly black areas in major metropolitan areas. So if you say, hey, this area gets first dibs, what's going to happen? Likely, very likely, that black people are going to get those first. And that is what the opponents of said uh, solution are afraid of. Do you not, Melanie, do you not see what the issue is? Well, and, and again, that's why I said I think we're conflating, or maybe I'm just totally misunderstanding. No, 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 because no, we're because not. I, I support. You're totally. I think you're totally missing it. I think what we're saying is that if you have, look, it's not hard. This is not hard at all, and that is what group of people has been most impacted by marijuana law? Black people. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is that now that marijuana is becoming legal in these states, worldwide, it's a $340 billion industry. Who should be first in line to benefit economically from the legalization of marijuana when the people who were first in line for the war on drugs, communities that were ravaged and attacked, black people. Okay, now, if that's the argument, then no, I don't agree with that. Overall, I agree with setting aside whatever type of point system or something to benefit minority black and brown communities. I absolutely support that, and as I said, there are, city, there are um, cities around the country that have been focusing on that, particularly Washington, D.C., and I think that's why, in Ward 8, in the war that I live, I think that's why we have a um, black-owned dispensary in Ward 8 now. So I totally support the notion of Ward 8, but... As, but this notion that somehow communities, you know, because black people have been impacted most, then that's why we should get, you know, first dibs on um, licensing. I kind of push back on that. I don't think, I don't see that as the reason why we should it because our communities have been impacted. I'm, I'm talking about an equity argument. We should be at the table, period. Whether we were impacted or not, this is a business. Yes, it's a, but the equity argument is that of anybody who is most impacted, by marijuana laws has been black people. Yeah, but I don't I don't agree Therese, with I don't agree Therese, with the you do, impact. Teresa, you get this, right? I absolutely get it. And and Melly, it, this it's a bit interesting to hear that point of view. I I'm I'm totally agreeing with you that, you know, we should all be at the table. But 
again, since we were the ones that still, you know, elected officials, uh, Republican elected officials, white ones at that, are still getting their piece of the pie first and probably in their district, because I said probably because I don't know if that's if it's actually true, but they're, they probably have individuals and constituents in their district who are probably still in prison right now because of a marijuana charge. Right. So for me, that person comes out of prison at the serving of time for a marijuana charge, you would think an apology happens and also a lead to the front of the line to now get some equity back on that if their plan is developed properly. Now that now that part I don't agree with because people were locked up, then those people who were locked up or who were affected by marijuana laws should get first up for the charge. Yeah, but, but even about the charge. Right, but being locked up for a charge, that should not give you first dibs on marijuana licensing. Because at the time that you were incarcerated, marijuana was illegal. You know, depending on where you were, marijuana was actually um, illegal. But that's the whole basis of our point. And, and, and the point is, because you stole lives, and stole years of my life, so it could be from five to ten when it was illegal, now that there has been an epiphany that it is legal, there should be some sort of conversation, compensation, really, and, and some more equitable reasoning. That's the only way you fix the solution, and that's the only way you come back to the table saying, okay, you know what? We're sorry. Here's the compensation. Now go ahead and grow since we stole your years. Well, now, that, I don't necessarily... Let, let, hold on, let, hold on, hold on. Let, let, you know what? Let, let me just go to the next door, because this gives me a damn headache, because I don't understand why this is so damn hard. But I'm going to need Miller to explain why in the hell city Republicans uh, can't pass a simple damn bill to give $255 million uh, to HBCUs and other institutions. Now, of course, it was passed by the Democratic Control House. College presidents say the funding is vital to fill the pipeline of minority graduates flowing into STEM professions. But days before the funding expired, Tennessee Senator Lamar Alexander, Republican, the chairman of the Senate Education Committee, he decided to block it. Education Department, they said the money for the current appropriation will carry over into the next year with the uncertainty surrounding it. How hard does this, Melick? Uh, I mean, it's not like Republicans in the Senate are doing a hell of a whole lot. Uh, they're not taking up any of the damn bills Democrats have passed. And so how hard is it to pass a damn bill to fund $255 million for HBCUs in other schools? What I've been reading. What the hell is your party doing? What I've been reading about for the past several weeks since this story first broke is, um, from what I understand, is that the Republicans actually want to pass a permanent funding mechanism for HBCUs. What Democrats want to do, they want to pay, I think it's a stopgap measure or something, for a two years. So it's like a two-year extension of, well, I can't think of what the act is now, but they want to pass. So we have Republicans want to a permanent solution. Democrats want a two-year extension from where we are now. Actually, so, at, at, actually, actually, let me give you the facts here. The Democratic House has already passed the bill. Right. If the, the Republican, House, the if House the Repu if the, if the, Yes. Yes. Oh, say, this, this is not hard. Republicans could actually could, could actually approve the House bill and still introduce another bill to make it permanent. Well, you if, can do two things at one time. Well, sure, but if we're going to be fully if we're going to be fully transparent and, and informative um, here, what we have to also acknowledge is that the Republicans actually said, "Well, hey, we want a we want a permanent funding mechanism for HBCUs." What they've also said is that as part of that funding mechanism, it's tied to reforms in the Higher Education Act. What Democrats are concerned about, they're saying that, well, if we pass this now, if we go, because what the Republicans have, even what um, Senator Alexander introduced, he actually added to that program where he's talking about, you know, um, the federal student aid, you know, making the, the financial aid form uh, more user-friendly, if you will. So they've talked about reforms as part of the Higher Education Act that are actually bipartisan issues. Republicans are saying, hey, we want a permanent funding mechanism for that. And as part of that funding mechanism, we want to add to that reforms in the Higher Education Act. They're not saying that they don't want any funding or anything like that. The Democrats are saying, well, no, we want a two-year extension from where we are now, and let's come back and deal with those reforms in the Higher Education Act. But it's not as if Republicans are saying Actually, that... 
actually, actually, Kelly, what actually what's going on here is <laughs> is you have one bill that's been passed by Democrats. Republicans want to want to deal with several other issues. What Democrats are saying is this 255 million bucks, which 85 million of that will go to HBCUs. Democrats are saying, yo, deal with that as a separate issue That's what I just versus said, no, 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 no. Follow me. Let me say it again. There's a difference between saying let's do this huge comprehensive deal, which we know has many tentacles, has many different pieces to it. What I'm saying is pass a simple, clean bill. That's all they got to do, Kelly. This ain't hard. And to Malik's point about the comprehensive plan that the Republicans are trying to uh, roll out, that's not necessarily a bad idea. But to your point of that plan, Roland, having multiple tentacles, who's to say that the House bill that just uh, came through, um, through by the Democrats isn't one of those tentacles? So for the Republicans to deny uh, on the Senate side this bill uh, truly passing is pretty despicable. Why? Because... 85 million, I, I think that's the number that you said, 85 million dollars for 105 HBCUs is virtually nothing. Comparatively speaking, we talked about last week how Maryland is uh, basically fighting over half a billion dollars just for four schools, and you're talking about 85 million amongst 105 plus. I mean, we're, th this is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous, and it's petty of the Republican Party on the Senate side to hold up that little bit of money for some for an entity, uh, 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 an entity within higher ed education um, to use. Um, it's it's just not fair. Uh, uh, Theresa. Uh, again, the Future Act is what it is called. Uh, and what you have here, this was a statement from Michael Lomack of the UNCF. Uh, he said that it is a no-brainer uh, for lawmakers to immediately pass this bill. Uh, he said that I have spent over 50 years of my life in higher education, and I know the importance of the HEA. However, first things first, pass the Future Act. And that's my point. You can do both. It's not either yeah. or. Yeah, you can absolutely do both. And it just seems like the Republicans are just kind of holding out for something more from the Democrats to get. It's it's one of those, it, it kind of just seems like another dangling fruit, right? Um, because it's something they can do. They know they can do it. Um, and so waiting to put it in a, a whole comprehensive package plan, we might not see that plan for another five years or 10. Who knows? But at this point, this is something they can do. This is something they won't do. I think, you know, I think it's probably because we're doing a lot, right? The Republicans, are, not Republicans, Democrats are asking um, them to, you know, uh, do their jobs, um, essentially, um, and then work on part two. So this shouldn't be hard. But I think, again, like everybody else has reiterated already, we got to put the pressure. And HBCUs really do need to step it up as it relates to advocacy on this issue. All right, folks. Well, first of all, they've been very, they've been very vocal on this, Congresswoman Alma Adams and others. Uh, but remember, House has already passed. Now the issue goes into the Senate. And we'll see what they do, folks. Let's talk about this story. Uh, you might remember uh, Diamond Riddle. She was the girlfriend of Orlando Castillo. She was in the car when he was shot and killed. She received a settlement of eight hundred thousand uh, dollars from the city there. But Tom McBroom, a Rice County Sheriff's deputy and a city council member in Elysian, Minnesota. This is what he tweeted. She needs to come off county and state aid now that she has some cash. It'll be gone in six months on crack cocaine. Now, he is now the mayor of that city, mm. and Reynolds is suing him. The suit alleges that his tweet was defamatory, false, and racially motivated. Sounds to me like she got a damn good case there, Teresa. Teresa? Yes. I'm sorry. Sounds to me like she got a damn good case there. The, the man says she's going to be on crack cocaine. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um, so, I, I, I listen, I hope the right she finds the right attorney to actually uh, um, get get that across, um, you know, so she can get reap her reward. Because, honestly, this, this is um, a travesty. 
Uh, Kelly. I, I'm just tired of racist today. Every day, really. But this, this just kind of takes the cake. Um, considering that uh, she unfortunately had earned that money by way of, of that man's actions and the county's actions, uh, killing her uh, fiancé, I believe it was her fiancé, her husband, uh, Philando Castile was. Yep, I mean, it's just, it's just sad how you have to basically diminish and, and defile someone's character in order f to make you feel good about your wrong actions. And that's really all I have to say about that. It's just, it's disgusting. Uh, well, uh, Malik Kelly said that she uh, is just so tired of racism. You know what that means? No. What does it mean? <laughs> Obviously, you don't watch this show enough. Folks, <laughs> roll it. No charcoal girls are allowed. I'm white. I got you, huh? On my property. Whoa! Hey! Hey, Alright, folks, this is the eleven minute video. We're not gonna play all of it, but a black man was trying to just throw out the damn trash. And some crazy ass white woman rolled up on him. Let's play. I'm sorry? What are you trying to say? I can't throw away the trash? You can't throw away your trash in our van. Yes, I can. No, you Yes, I can. Could you please leave me alone or I'll call the police? You are harassing me. Call you are police. harassing me. Thank police. you very much. 911. Okay, I will. Got a racist lady here. <laughs> That's yep. a big mistake on your part. Oh, okay. Call. Look. Throwing away the trash. You know, you're going to be instantly famous. Hi. You're going to be instantly famous. You know that, young lady? Come on. Here, let me close the door for you. See how much a gentleman I'm being for you? Florida. You're excused. What's Thank your you. name? What are you doing? Please. Here? You're excused, ma'am. You you're work harassing here? me. You are harassing me. I will call the police call the if you police. don't leave. Okay? Call the Thank police. you. What is your name? Martha. Show me your name? license. Do you live here? Show me your license. Show me yours. Show me yours and I'll show no. you mine. Wow. This is Florida, folks. Yeah. Here we go, Martha. We have to pay Dear extra for people to come clean okay. out. And we pay extra too. All right. Why do you think I why do you don't think I live here? Because of the way I look? Because why? I, until two weeks ago I was president of the homeowners association. Okay. And to my knowledge, I know everybody who lives here. Okay. That's the only thing. So why did you assume that I don't live here because you don't know me? Because there's only 42 buildings. Only 42 buildings. You knew every single person in 42 buildings? Where do you live? Huh? Do you know every single person in 42 buildings, ma'am? Thank you very much. I rest my case. Do me a favor. Enjoy the rest of your day. Stop with the fake laugh and just go. All right? It's not a fake laugh. I think it's Enjoy your day. I mean, we have this happen all the time. Uh, Kelly, this is an 11-minute video. It's not until a white female neighbor comes out and goes, what are you doing? The guy lives around here. But the woman backs the hell off. Uh, this guy, first of all, if I was him, I would have called the cops on her ignorant ass in the first two minutes. But this is literally the harassment that black people have to deal with just for being black and just for throwing the trash out. How much of a life does this woman not have to mind the business of someone else doing something as simple as taking out the trash? Like, 
and she tried to prove her point or, you know, justify her questioning by saying that she used to be a president or whatever, the Home Association, and it's like 42 or so buildings or homes in that area. But one, she said former, which means that you don't need to know this information anymore. You don't have the right to ask this person anything about your neighborhood anymore because it's none of your business anymore. And then secondly, you're telling me that you know the owners and residents within 42 uh, establishments in this neighborhood? I find that in extremely hard to believe, especially considering that she really couldn't even give us a reason as to why she was asking him um, about his business in the first place. So she just needs to go on somewhere, you know, back to her home, um, one of 42, and just mind her business. It costs absolutely nothing to mind your own business. It, it is free. One of the few things in this world that is absolutely free. Just do it. Leave people alone. It'll help Teresa, you out. It, it was trash. It was trash. It was and she literally was blocking him. She was blocking him from driving away. It's a disgrace. Uh, it looked like the woman wanted a confrontation. She wanted to um, exude whatever power she felt she had. Um, I actually found it a bit shocking for her. I think she said she left the um, homeowners association as she was president at that two months ago. I can only imagine the decision she was making as president because um, she pretty much knows all 42 residents that, that are in there. And what it sounded like to me, she was basically saying there was nobody black on the roster, right, until she left. And then some African-Americans moved in, which is really unfortunate. Um, it was, Again, this is what we have to deal with daily. What we have to do is keep doing what we're doing, horizontally showing their ignorance, and hopefully it brings a bright light to a better solution for a safer tomorrow. There are going to be more stories like this, Malik, and the bottom line is because you got white folks uh, who want to use their white privilege to harass black people because essentially they want us to be like in South Africa, show our papers to prove we belong. Well, I think you said that the, the, the clip was about 11 minutes for me. Yeah, it's 11 minutes. Yeah, so probably about nine minutes too long for me um, because after two minutes, the police would have been called and it would have been a lot of other stuff that you would have seen or heard on that video than the niceties that he actually extended her because there would have been no opening. Of, there would have been none of that if it were me. So my at that point, her ignorance would have been met with my ignorance and it would have been a different scene. But, I mean, you know, we continue to see these things. It's unfortunate. Good that it's on camera. Good that her face is all, will be all over television as it should be. Good for her. Got her. Absolutely. All right, boy, hopefully uh, she has a job. She'll lose it. It's my black and apply for it. All right, folks, I got to go. We got to hit. I'm heading Langston University for uh, their uh, midnight programs, the annual program that they do uh, as a student's gear for study for the final week of finals. I'm here on behalf of four cares, and we look forward uh, to uh, serving some food and being able to uh, chat with the students and mix with them. I'll have some video uh, and photos to so follow my social media accounts. Also, tomorrow I'll be broadcasting live from the White House at Calipari Studio. Uh, of course, the Democratic debate taking place tomorrow night at uh, Calipari Studios. And so we will be broadcasting uh, from the lot, thanks to uh, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms and Tyler Perry as well. So looking forward to that. So I'll see you guys tomorrow. Don't forget to support Roland Martin Unfiltered by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Joining our Bring the Funk Fan Club, you can support us via Cash App, PayPal, and Square. All right, folks, I'll see you tomorrow. Uh, Teresa, thanks a lot. Melik, uh, Kelly, thank you so very much. Folks, I got to go.
BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.